presenting part two of our 2021 Miami Marlins season recap show with Fish Stripes' Eli Sussman and Isaac Azut on episode 34 of Swimming Upstream. Well, we'll get to trades and other free agent signings as well. And the other one I want to get to is Avisa Al Garcia. Um, this guy, as we know, just like Sandy, um, he's, he's, he's Miami, like Sandy's Miami. He's, he's, he's all about Miami. He wants to be in Miami and this guy's wanted to be in Miami for, for a long time. And now he's here. Um, and it's happened. So he, he comes to the Marlins on, on a four-year deal along with a, a club option as well for a fifth year at, um, I think 53 million, um, Garcia will make, I think an even 12 million a year coming off a career season in terms of power with home runs in 29, I think personally Garcia's greatest strength is that power. But that being said, he doesn't really walk a lot, but he also doesn't really strike out a lot for a guy that's like power first, right? Um, managed to post a career, a, a pretty good K rate, I would say 23% last year, right? So that that's pretty good. I, I think really, and, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, a, a, a clear replacement and clear improvement, I think, in that regard in the K rate area um, from Adam Duvall. And I know we were all sad to see Adam Duvall go the way that he did for the guy that he went for. And that's another conversation, but we can talk about that later on. But yeah, Garcia, I think a definite improvement and a definite good replacement for an, an Adam Duvall. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, in place of guys that were kind of unrealistic, I think, you know, with guys like Buxton, Reynolds, Mullins, you know, guys in the trade market, Starling Marte, we know the Marlins made a big move for him, but, you know, they eventually lost out to bring him back. But man, for a, a second tier guy, you know, not that main top tier guy, but a guy that's that's good and a guy that could definitely provide a service, at, at least at the corner spots, maybe in center field. We're going to get to that later on, but after this question, but uh, yeah, what do you guys think, Isaac? I'll go to you. Um, Avisael Garcia, what do you think about this signing? Um, no, I think we talked about him, you know, stream after stream after stream, pod after pod, and. He was the, I would say, the best available guy in the second tier class, you know, like the guys you mentioned, like Buxton, like Mullins. And I think he's a great signing. But when you like compare him to Duvall, I, I would almost consider it a wash. I don't know if that's a popular opinion between you guys. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But, you know, the weighted runs created definitely favor Garcia. But those are in games in, you know, Milwaukee. And I know that that stat takes that into consideration. But I think Duvall has a superior power. I know the strikeouts definitely favor Garcia. And I think, like we mentioned, his, you know, right handed power. Is just going to be such a great supplement to you guys like Jazz, guys like Lewin, guys like Jesus. That is going to be so great. I think he's going to hit like fourth or fifth in this lineup. Um, I I would still advocate going after a guy like Duvall in addition to um to obviously Garcia. I think you know you can never have enough power, just so you can never have enough pitching. But I definitely you know I, for twelve million dollars a year flat with a five million dollar buyout, which is what makes it a fifty three million. I think that was just a great signing. I think they have apparently wanted to sign him the entire. The plan was to get him. In addition to Marte, unfortunately, Marte just fell out of Miami's price range. It's just, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's it's tough to think that we could have just kept him at the trade deadline for a lot cheaper than the Mets got him. But for Marte, for Garcia, it's an A-plus move. I think, you know, Miami needed offense. Miami needed a, a stable right fielder defensively and offensively, and they got him Garcia. Interesting, because his raw power, I would say, is actually better than Duvall. If you just put him in a home run derby, I feel like, obviously, I'll would be uh, more successful life. there. Yeah. yeah. But in-game power, is, I don't know. It's been really, yeah, it's an uneven how it translates to in-game power. He's coming off a year in Milwaukee where it did a, a fairly good job. And if you look at the actual specifics behind his home runs, you know, most of them would be out of Miami, but clearly not all of them. So that's been uneven. And with him, yeah, there were, he's, he's been around a little bit longer than uh, people think. And it's been up and down, you know, um, not a, not ideal consistency that you'd want from a guy like that. At the very least, there is a nice baseline with his on-base skills that is certainly better than Duvall and better than a lot of Brinson, for example. Like, I, yeah, I don't like put like see him exactly filling Duvall's shoes, but almost like it's a little bit of a rougher conversion than that. It's it's also somebody like Brinson, like taking at bats away somebody like that. And he he's enough of a natural all-round hitter. And the discipline, even though it's not great, it's it's better than some of these other guys that they've had um, in the outfield these, these past couple of years. That, that's going to be a take-up in that department as well. Really, 
longer contract than a lot of people were expecting. I checked out everybody's projections for him, and there was nobody that thought he was going to get four-year fully guaranteed deal entering free agency. That's curious that it took that fourth guaranteed year and a fifth-year club option at the end of that. That was a little bit surprising. There are some interesting parallels also between him and Marcel Ozuna uh, as players. If you look at really a pretty large sample, if you go back about six years and how those guys have ebbed and flowed, that one of their most their strongest carrying skills is just being able to really smash the ball when, when they get it on the barrel, but otherwise being some ups and downs on both sides of the ball and um, how they contribute. When you balance it all out, you feel pretty confident that he is going to be an average everyday player, if not slightly above average. And so that alone is, is nice to have. I do have some thoughts about his defense. So I think Alex, you wanted to say something about that first, but I, I, I have a big article that's probably going to come out on Monday about that, like diving into exactly what they're going to do with him there. Yeah, no, I was just going to follow it up on his defense in center field in 2019 and in 2020 was not good. I mean, for his career, he was a negative 10 defensive run saved in center field. And in those two years, in 2019 and 2020, it was negative seven. So seven of those 10 came in 2019 and 2020. So we know that the Marlins say that they think that he can be a center fielder for the full season. I don't like that idea. <laughs> I'll let you give us your, um, your personal opinion, Eli. I still think they got to go out and get a center fielder honestly, um, and bullpen as well. And we'll get to that as well. But man, um, can this guy stay in center field over the course of a full season? Or what do you think? So he's listed at 250 pounds, right? And in 2020, he was a primary center fielder for the Brewers. And as far as I can tell, he is the heaviest player on record to be the starting center fielder for the majority of his team's games in a single season. There's never been somebody listed at that weight in uh, follow up on that in a second that was able to that was given that responsibility that really immense responsibility considering that he had not played very much of that in the majors in the previous seasons at all to that point i found a spring training interview from him this past year entering 2021 and he was talking about his diet and so he was saying that even though he's only listed at 250 he's listed at 250 he said he's played most of his career at actually 245, a little bit trimmer than that. And that in 2020, he was up to 255 to 257 pounds. He was out of shape. And I mean, more importantly, he was not supposed to be playing center field for the Brewers in 2020. Lorenzo Kane was their center fielder. And you may remember Kane was one of those players that opted out of the season due to COVID shortly after the season started. Um, it was like a, a week and a half into the year that Kane opted out and by necessity they put Avisiel in center. So they put him in center when not only is he uh, unconventionally large for that position, but he was especially out of shape at that moment. And so that is where the majority of his career center field playing time has come from that 2020 season where he was extremely ill-equipped to be a center fielder. And as you said, um, from watching it and the metrics behind it, it was ugly for him in that stint. But what he did entering spring training this past year is he went on, he met with a nutritionist and went on a pretty extreme diet. He actually said that after the season ended last year, he bloated up to like 270 pounds. And then from there, he lost 36 pounds. So he entered, he entered spring training this past season. He played this season, as he said, in the best shape of his life. Um, you can put whatever weight you want on that. But he slimmed down to like 236. I'll have the exact number in the article. But he has transformed a little bit in that aspect of his game. So he was more prepared to play center field in 2021. It wasn't 2020. And unfortunately, he didn't get to do that at all. Like he only played one game this past year, even though he had like put all, all that work slimming down to it. I feel like that is going to be a factor in why the Marlins would even like dream of that scenario is the fact that he is the, he has changed his body. And you can actually see it. If you watch, if you look at close-ups of him in those two years in 2020, 2021, like you can see that different, the weight change, the diet made a difference. And that would make him a, a little bit closer to the typical center fielder. 
with all that being said, I believe that their viewpoint, their uh, the thoughts being expressed on him as a potential center fielder on a regular basis, that that is all a bluff, that that is all public posturing, because we've reached a stage as of this recording where Starling Marte is off the market, where Chris Taylor is off the market. You look at free agency and like the one guy that potentially you can plug in at center fielder for you is the versatile and ultra expensive Chris Bryant because he plays our position, but we know it's, they got outbid for Starling Marte. They're not going to be in the ballpark for Chris Bryant. There's nobody else that has the combination of defense and decent bat to actually be an everyday center fielder out there to be an upgrade over who they already have internally. And my guy, Brian De La Cruz. So they are going to make a trade. And until they make that trade, they need to play it cool and pretend that they have answers internally when they know that they don't. And so that comments, I wouldn't put much weight in that. They are hopefully recognizing the importance of this upcoming season. They're going to pull the trigger on a pretty big trade and get an actual bona fide center fielder that is more traditionally built for that position. Yeah. So I want to, something I want to ask you guys, if I may really quick, you know, I understand, it, especially in Lone Depot Park, the need of that defensive center fielder. You've always had one, you know, sort of going all the way back to when the park, park opened. It was Bonifacio and you just have, you know, guys that just cover so many so much ground. What would you rather have? Schwarber and left and you have Garcia playing center field and you have Jesus in right. Or do you go after Cedric Mullins, which is going to take half your farm system? I, if it were up to me, I would sacrifice that bit of defense just in order to have at, at probably 85, 90 home runs from your outfield. Have Schorber and left. I understand it's going to be a really sketchy outfield defensively, but you know you're not giving up Meyer and Blade and guys like that for a guy like Cedric Mullins, who really, honestly, we talked about that on Twitter as well. He really hasn't proven it for more than what 200 games in his career. So I, if it were up to me, I think Garcia has a sprint speed and the arm strength to fake it in the center field just as much as a guy like Chris Bryant can. Listen, I'm you know if you can get Mullins in a cheap trade. I love it, but it wouldn't you got be, it. Though. Exactly. You got it. No, no, no. It's not going to happen. So it would be at least, uh, you know, Max Meyer, Eddie Pettis, and like another top five, six prospect. So maybe maybe with, not both those guys, but definitely. I think it's start. probably going to be, but I mean, it's, that guy is not going for anything that's not absolutely crazy. Two of all the top this, five. Exactly. So all this to say, I'm with you, right? I am so on board with having a mediocre center fielder if it means getting a, a you know a really good um cor- another really good corner outfielder you know i feel like his numbers weren't as horrible defensively um and you know listening to eli i think you know it's 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 he i felt like he um highlighted exactly that um it's they, they, they dream that it can be better. Maybe it isn't, but, you know, um, he's, he was one of the best, and just in terms of defensive runs saved. I know that there are other metrics, but he was one of the best you know, outfielders in all of baseball at right field. It's not center field, I get it, and it's not center field in Marlins Park, but, you know, he can fake it at least. Um, so with that in mind, I am absolutely with you, man. I prefer – getting another home run guy for our lineup and, and having him in center field um, over maybe taking a weaker center field option and leaving him in right field. So, yeah. As long as they, do something, as long as they don't just like sit on who they currently have. Um, yeah. Uh, either way, whether it's a big investment in one of those bats, like Schwarber, somebody that, you know, just make sure everybody's on the same page. That's somebody that has now been linked both from the national guys and from Mish, as well as somebody of particular interest that they believe they can actually afford, depending on how many teams are involved in that. I, w- I would not be opposed to that compared to what they currently have. Ultimately, I think that the farm system is still strong enough and that if they are patient enough in negotiations that they are, I think that more likely route is that they are actually going to, to trade for somebody that has mm-hmm. in center that has significant control. Because just like another thing that we mentioned with the trades that they've made, including both Meisner and Scott, um, not necessarily the top overall outfield prospects in the system, but guys in particular center that had fielder. a great time sticking in center field. Yeah. And with just fewer of those internal options, fewer of those backup plans long-term, if they can thread the needle 
And yeah, get one of these guys, whether it's Mullins or like Cattell Marte, there's some mixed opinions about whether he sticks in center field um, and, and a few others still out there. The pie in the sky is Brian Reynolds, that if they could get a guy that they feel solidifies that position well, for 2022 and several years beyond that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make that really difficult decision to, to give up one of their really top tier prospects to make that happen. You actually, you actually make a good point, Eli, because, you know, they, you're right. I, I actually hadn't thought about that. They traded Meisner, they traded Scott. Who was the next center field prospect in the system? You know, Burdick kind of, you know, could sort of fake it out there. But Victor, really, Victor, the next Victor, Victor. Right. You know, you're, you, I don't think Victor Mason Jr. I think he's a right fielder primarily. So I think, who do you got? Was Cyrus Johnson? He showed, you know, like kind of impressed me defensively in the outfield in the development camp. But really, you have no one in the system anymore that can play center field. I know they've tried Blade got a little experience in double A, but realistically, yeah. he's a right fielder. But other than Victor Victor Mesa, <laughs> which we all know how we feel about him, some differently than others, the Marlins really thinned out their center field system because Meisner and Scott were the two ones that could really, really play it well. Well, so you guys mentioned mentioned center field and you mentioned Cameron Meisner. I've talked on your shows, and Eli knows this, and Isaac, you know this as well, about how I feel about the <laughs> trade for Joey Wendell, but Daniel has not given us his opinion. So I want to get Daniel. <laughs> Daniel, this trade, even though Wendell makes the bench a lot better, and I think we're all in agreement, your thoughts on this trade, Meisner going for Wendell. Go ahead. Listen, you know, starting the offseason, it was clear that Miami needed to add infield depth. You know, that was, we all knew that. We can't do another Isan Diaz Marrero season. That was clear. Uh, so when the rumor started that Wendell was available, it was the same day, actually, that he was available. Many of us got pretty excited about getting him. You know, there was a little buzz, the Marlins uh, Twitter. So when the first tweet appeared mentioning that Miami acquired him, I was one of the first to celebrate. Like, my tweet's there. You know, it's like a nice, clean yes. You know, Miami acquired Wendell. That's beautiful. But then it was confirmed that, you know, it was, that Meisner was the return. And, you know, I got to say, I, I didn't love it, man. I, I just didn't. I felt <laughs> Meisner, I mean, he was either going to be an important part of Miami's future, I felt, or part of a more considerable trade, you know, for, for a bigger player. That's how I saw it. So Twitter got a bit <laughs> heated. <laughs> um, that night I was, I was called the negative guy. <laughs> um, but, but so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I felt, I feel Wendell is, is a great piece for Miami. Like uh, whenever I had this debates, I was like, Hey, I don't, I don't want to hate on Wendell. I love Wendell. You know, I really like that guy for our team. Um, but I felt that we gave too much. What do you guys think? Like, well, what are well, your takes? I mean, you know, like you mentioned, when we first saw the report, Craig Mish broke it, that Miami Marlins were close to acquiring Joey Wendell. It, I've never seen it, you know, myself. I, we really haven't seen a trade like that where we saw who was coming one way and then you saw the return and just so quickly, just like your heart is like, what? I know the Fish Stripes group chat went berserk. I, you would think like, okay, Joey Wendell's coming here. Maybe my boy Cody Morrison is going the other way. Someone like that is probably going, but Cameron Meisner, holy shit. You'd expect him to be the centerpiece for Cedric Mullins. Not the centerpiece, but, you know, a big piece, the second or third piece for a guy like that. But I was as shocked as you were, Daniel. I did not love the uh, the return there on Miami side. I know that baseball trade values, whatever you want to make of that, saw it as an overpay for Miami as well. I think every, you know, metric will say that it was a bit of an overpay. You are risk, you know, Tampa Bay is one taking on the risk because you know what Joey Wendell is and you don't know what Cameron Meisner will become. But I think that his potential in Meisner's case is just so far along more than what Joey Wendell can ever become that I think it was just a, a colossal overpay on Miami's and maybe not a colossal overpay just because Wendell is an all-star. He was an all-star last year. Let's be, let's be real. But Cameron Meisner was one that I liked. And we, I know that Alex didn't go on about his insane on base street to end the second half. And his insane second half stretch, <laughs> but dude, that oof, that one hurt. I'm just like remembering I was out to dinner and I we see that alert saying it was Miser going back. I could not believe it. So you know, your your gut must must mean something. It's a trend, you know. It's it's how he's trending, 
right? Yeah. We had seen like him, okay, yeah, he looks fine, he looks fine. But little by little, man, it's a trending, and we know the tools have always been there. And now he's finally putting it together. And, you know, like, I really – maybe he won't, right? Again, it's a prospect. You have no idea. But he has the whole package. He has the field. He has the power. He has the – run like he can run and he's smart running you know like he's stolen like 35 bases and been caught like three times and he'll tell you that all three were were umpire mistakes you know like he <laughs> he's quick but he's also smart like smart runner and he knows how to run in the outfield again i mean that one hurt that that one really hurt um doesn't mean that wendell is going to be an amazing piece for miami but i do feel like we're going to see you know meisner kill it in the in the race system and inversely just like miser had a great second half alex you know showed me this how bad wendell's second half was you know like it's really inversely how well you know it like you said it's a trend and miami got the wrong end of that trend for both players so it's it's a little risky who knows what wendell's going to be in a whole new ballpark in a whole new league in a whole new division and miser's going to have all the time in the world to, to, to develop in an amazing organization and it's a scary thought that miser is going to become that you know five tool talent in the major leagues shit i wish you didn't reminisce about this trade man because it hurts more and more man more and more <laughs> i miss that let's guy. not be negative guys come on <laughs> yeah it was my least favorite sizable move so far for sure um it i like i love i love the way potentially that wendell complements the other infielders that they already have I kind of wrote this out between Brian Anderson and Miguel Rojas and, and Jez uh, being a situation where uh, Wendell is almost a fallback plan for all those guys. It's a potential platoon partner for either BA or Miggy Rowe at various points. I, I'm really high on his defense that he played exceptional defense with the Rays and that if, if there's anything that's pretty similar between those teams, it's how often they shift in the variety of ways that they do shift their infield that he has a, a nice high floor with the way that he plays defense at all those spots. There, there is a pretty uh, glaring drop off in his production as last season went on. I think it's only two years of control before he hits free agency. So it just goes back to the previous question about what they do in, in center field that if they trade trading somebody in Meisner who really had that potential to lock down center field for years to come, uh, as long as they, they pivot to, they're able to acquire somebody that ha- is like that potential already actualized at the major league level, somebody big, whether it's Cattell Marte or, or Cedric Mullins, then you really won't miss Meisner. But that's a big if. That's a huge if. And the fact that they got somebody in, in Wendell that is closer to free agency than you think, it just shows how really prioritizing they are these next couple of years. So they better take advantage of it. But it could make sense. There is there is hope for it to all come together, but there's more work to do to really justify that risk that they're taking. And that's something where I saw a little bit of an inconsistency where, you know, Mish reported that, these, that this team is really willing to move on from guys who aren't ready to help them, you know, immediately. And I, I know Meisner, you know, like a little bit slower, you know, slower to develop. He was a college guy, though, but I think with a solid, you know, double A season, he would have been moved up to triple A if he like killed it in the first two months. Maybe he's willing, he's able to help the big league club at some point in 2021. I know that in uh, 2022, I know that's a far, that's a stretch and a half, but it's a possibility. And he was closer than other guys. So I, I just, that's what just even, it even like shocks me more that they could have moved on from someone else rather than even a Victor Mesa Jr. I like, you know, similar. I know he doesn't probably have as much potential as Meisner, but he's a guy who just obviously is not even close to helping this big league team. So it's just, I just see that. I saw that as an inconsistency where, oh, we're not going to trade guys that are, gonna, that are not able to help us in 2022. But, you know, Meisner, he wasn't far off. He, I would say he's just as far off, far off as Bladé. So that's what watch him. Yeah, watch him go in Josh, Josh uh, Lowe's, 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 um, uh, you know, way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very similar player. Yeah, I mean, it's a very similar player, like 22 home runs, three last season, AAA, 381 OBP, um, 26% K rate, uh, 26 stolen bases. That's the guy I see Meissner being next season and moving, you know. That's the guys the Rays like, you know. He's, he's, he's with the Rays system, and, and they got him. So, um, uh, yeah, it is what it is. 
So, yeah, man. If you were to have to give the raise, I'm sorry to um, if you were gonna give the raise anyone to just reclaim as their own project, fuck, man. It, it had to be a, a <laughs> specimen like Meisner, man. Who, if it all comes to fruition, I know we're giving him probably a lot more credit than you know mm-hmm, what he's proven. Mm-hmm. I, I know we're going above and beyond. We're gonna really enhance the what ifs here, but it is you know it, it's worth to be noted that you know Tampa Bay got a hell of a project. No, it's not at all. He, he proved he proved it. He proved it. I mean, that's that, that's what it comes down to. He proved it at Double A. You know, it, it was it was what it was at Single A Advanced, and then he went up Double A and continued to prove it. And man, I, I just think that it's a guy that says all the right things, does all the right things. You know, makes the adjustments necessary. Says that he's willing to admit his failures. That hey, what I was doing here what I was doing in college wasn't going to work here. And I worked on that and I worked to improve it basically on his own. And to do that at the double a level that there's nothing to sneeze at at that. And as Daniel said, with the speed, what he said to us, and I keep pointing to this, but I'll point to it again that, Hey, I'm not the fastest guy in the world, but if I get to a certain space on the base pass, I know I'm going to steal a base. Like he's a heady player. He's good. Power contact walks limits the strikeouts. Good player, man. So to lose a guy like that, that I think could be uh, a center field cornerstone, which is something, as we know, that the Marlins are currently lacking, um, that's that sucks. But um, they do get back a quality piece. And I will say that that Joey Wendell improves the bench. Um, he improves the ability to, to take at-bats, right, to take those at-bats late in the game and to play very quality defense. So I, I, I like Joey Wendell. I like the addition. I just hate the – hate the return to Tampa Bay and with what Tampa does with prospects, I, I think we, we will and could someday regret it. So that's my opinion on, on that trade. I've, I've been very vocal on that, but that's all I got to say on that one. Um, I got a couple more to get to actually one more to get to before we go to quick fire guys, if you're down for it um, we've discussed it um, very busy so far. Um, a stark contrast from last year, which we've also discussed. I think we can all agree we were refreshed to see multiple hype videos put out on Marlins social media rather than the one that we saw last year. I won't, I won't say who the name was, but rather than that one hype video that we saw from the Marlins, we're very excited to see hype videos for these, these multiple guys um, that the Marlins have acquired. But I think still some work to do. Um, personally, I think you need to address center field. Um, I think you need to address bullpen. So I want to get to both of you guys and we could be brief. Um, just give us a couple names that after the lockout, you would like to see the Marlins acquire to fill out this right now competitive 2022 Marlins team. Well, the one name on the bullpen side is the name that I, I mentioned at the start of the offseason that I thought was the most likely of all these like pretty sizable free agents that they would actually get. And that's Kenley Jansen of the Dodgers where for the most part with the exception of Chris Taylor, uh, a lot of their free agents that were up on their contracts are going to other places, getting better paydays. And there was a somewhat sketchy report that came out right before the lockout that Marlins actually have had talks with Kenley and for in particular, maybe Don Mattingly has had some conversations with him, him and Kenley go way back to their time in LA over a decade, him and Kim Ang go even further back because I think she was involved with like oh, as the assistant GM of the Dodgers in the mid 2000s, almost 15 years ago when Ken Lee was coming up as a catcher. If, if there's anybody that I feel you really feel Kim Ang's fingerprints on any move, it might be signing him to a multi-year deal. He just has an incredible major league career to this point in his mid thirties now, but at a position where you worry less about age than you do at any other position as a just one inning at a time reliever. He made some fascinating adjustments last year that if they're going to make any investment in any one reliever, and I prefer that they do it in free agency rather than giving up any young talent for relievers, just because they are pretty volatile. There's no one guy that you can feel totally confident in being able to sustain what he's done moving forward. If they can get him on a, ideally a two-year deal, but I imagine it's going to be probably three years um, of a decent amount of cash, then He's one that I like, and he's one that I think they can afford because I would this love. Point, a, yeah, go I'm ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I would love talking about Ken Lee. I would love a high high incentive deal, you know, an a deal where you got your guaranteed money, but that apart from that, you have like crazy amounts um, 
with taking account incentives, putting that into the equation with a guy like him. I, you like that. I don't know if he's going to be a candidate for that just because he has been pretty consistent by reliever standards. He's coming off a healthy year that I think it's going to be a pretty big guarantee. Just I, I'm not worried about that because if you look at the team's payroll now, even after the moves they've made for this upcoming season, their projected payroll is still in the 50s, the high 50s million dollar range. I mean, they uh, they do not need to be cutting corners with the way that they fill out this roster. And the obvious other point is, as you, as I mentioned before, the center field, oh, I mean, look, Mullins, Mullins is that really divisive one, right? Because he's only had this one full season as a viable major league player, except he was more than viable. He was 30, 30. And it's, it's difficult to value him and to come up with exactly what the Orioles would be looking for. It's weird that the Orioles would even be serious about shopping him. To be honest, he is, right now the face of their organization and really yeah i i would i think it's very important that they try to find that center fielder but honestly kyle schwarber is a pretty solid fallback plan if they are going to actually go through with this obviously l in center experiments one that is really contingent on him keeping the pounds off the way that he did uh this past year and even then i think that it's going to be a difficult defensive outfield to, to put together, but I'd be fine with, with Schwarber too. Schwarber, there are a lot of characteristics about his offensive approach. That I think you're going to translate really well and be very productive uh, no matter where he goes. Gotcha. Um, I guess the last thing that we can get to uh, before we go quick fire is man. Um, there's, there's, there's been a, a lot, that's been, it's been discussed and, and a busy off season so far, um, you know, for, for this Marlins team. So, I mean, like, 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 as I said, it, it's, it's, it's going to come down to a little bit more, right. And they, they got to do a little bit more to really be considered as a competitive team. Um, come, come 2022. I, I think, like I said, like, like you said, Eli, um, bullpen and I think center fielder definitely. Um, so that, that's what it's going to come down to. Um, I think that's what we're, we're talking about when it comes to this being a different team in, in 2022. I think they've done some great stuff so far, but I think there's still more to get done. And I think the, that's what we'll see um, after the deadline. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's, that's all we got on that. But I, I wanted to get to one last question for you guys, and then we'll go with quick fire, is that they have a lot to do. I mean, we, we've gone through a ton on the major league roster on the show. But as you guys know, me and Daniel are about the minor league guys. So the Marlins in 2022 have a lot to address when it comes to adding rule five eligible players at the end of the 2022 season to the major league roster or risk exposing them to the rule five draft. So me and Daniel both wanted to ask you guys before we go, and I'll give it to Isaac first. Um, we wanted to ask you guys uh, as the last full length question, when do we see these guys on the Marlins roster? I think I think all of these names, and I'm going to give them to you, but I think all of these names need to be added to, to the Major League roster. And the strategy of how you do that is another conversation. But let's let's look at the names. You got J.J. Lede, Peyton Burdick, Troy Johnston, who you guys know that I love, Victor Victor Mason, uh -huh. um, who has been not good, but is still being paid $5 million. J.D. Orr. Um, that's a lesser one. You got Jeff Lindgren, who just came off of a very good minor league season in double A. Brian Hoeing, who I think could be good. And then you have Zach King, who's a draftee from Vanderbilt. So, and there's others, but just those ones being the main ones. Which of those names do you guys see added to the 40-man roster before the end of 2022? And when do you think we could see those guys in a Marlins uniform? Well, I think the first ones, the first couple that you name, including Blade, there's just such a hell of a drop-off after those two that, you know, I don't think guys like Victor, Victor Mesa have to be worried about, to be honest, you just like see the lack of production offensively, especially in double a and high a and every level he's really been in, even in Cuba, really. So I don't think, you know, Brian Holy, I'm with you. I do like him, but I think it just, it's really dependent on how they perform this year in the upper level of the minors. They um, it's, it's really just, like I said, it's going to really depend on how they perform. Lede, obviously, he's a he's a surefire guy to be protected 100%. And with just 
if you're going to protect Victor Victor Mesa solely based on the fact that you gave him $5 million as a signing bonus, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If he goes out and like has hits 250 and slugs more than 350, then yeah, maybe he's worth protecting because maybe some team says, okay, his defense is major league ready and his offense just needs to develop and a team like Arizona or, you know, a really rebuilding team would, would be willing to pick him up. But like I said, I think Blade, we could see him in the major leagues this year. I think if he performs, you know, just a little bit in double A, something goes down, Jesus Sanchez isn't performing or Avi gets injured, especially now with Meisner gone and Scott gone. I think Blade, you could see him as the first one, first one to be called up. So with guys like that, I think Blade is the main one that you can just see for sure being protected as a 40 man, much less as 26 man roster. So he'll be in the major league at least, at least in September. And then it, I, I really am curious to see. I know we all have different opinions on Victor Victor. It's sort of a polarizing topic, you know, between all of us, you know, between Alex and Eli and I. But I think the main one you got to worry about is Blade and protecting him. But I don't think anyone is worried about protecting Victor Victor Mesa at this point. I think those are the two names that, that bring the most attention. I would predict that the first one called up is going to be Burdick. I, I thought there was a decent chance to be called up in, yeah. in September. Um, if, if Brian De La Cruz wasn't as awesome as he turned out to be, and if uh, Jesus Sanchez wasn't as great down the stretch as he was, then they would have had those reps. And I, I feel like Burdick doesn't have a whole lot left to develop. In terms of physical development, he is already exactly who he's going to be. Um, and there are, there are flaws in his game, but there's a lot more good than bad with him. I'm, I'm excited to see him in the majors. And even though he's not on the, even though there's no pressure to put him on the 40 man during the season, I feel like they will. I feel like they're going to call him up at, at some point during the year when inevitably an injury or a slump or a midseason trade makes it. Um, I'm most confident in him being called up during the year. And then, you know, very shortly after that, Blade, Blade there's some legitimately encouraging signs i'm not going to use that phrase about what he did in the fall league but he's he's on the right track again he's straightened himself out in some respects offensively there's a good he is a nice very nice uh baseline as an offensive performer uh moving forward and i'd be shocked um health permitting you should definitely be seeing him in the big leagues this coming year troy is a fascinating uh one as well i think a lot of him his his plate approach i love um i feel like in the major leagues he's somebody that is going to get on base if nothing else and there's value in that his defensive um utility is going to be very critical um he played almost entirely first base once he got moved up to a high a as recently as the falling they were experimenting with him in the outfield but uh, unless that is a real component to his game if he's a first base only guy um, then even though I feel at the moment he's trending, he's a Marlins top 30 prospect. Uh, I mean, to hold on to that, it's, if you're first base only, then the power has to be there really consistently to uh, justify that. And there's still a question about that power from him where that's going to be critical to him if he's a first base only player. So uh, I'll have to, he'll have to actually prove it during the season, either by surprising us and playing some outfield or really sustaining and building upon the great year he had in 2021. He, I could see him being caught in limbo, uh, being one of those guys that were yeah. really frustrated about being left off the 40 man at this time next year, um, just because of the questionable fit in the future. One player that you did mention that I wanted to bring up that is going to be rule five eligible because he was a 2018 high school draft pick is Osiris Johnson. Dallas, and I'm lower yes. on Osiris than, than other people are, um, about his, his defensive home. And uh, obviously the fact that he's a bad first guy who does not have good offensive numbers in, in pro ball, but we know that he's exceptionally young for guys that are going to be available in the rule five. I think he'll only just turn 22 by the time that the rule five comes around next year. Um, he, he probably won't have any experience above high A or, or double A. Like if he has a really successful year, I think he's still going to wind up at, at double A um, but I can see like there's, there's a scenario where he turns out to be that great offensive player that we they thought he was entering pro ball because the batted ball quality from him is still pretty impressive if he's you know making enough contact the right way. And if this transition to the outfield um, goes you know, better than the infield defense that he was playing, he's a guy that could his 
you could really restore all the prospect type that he came in if he finally has a healthy year and a semi-normal year. He's gotten kind of screwed with the way that his development has been impacted by factors kind of beyond his control. So he's he's a name that one of the guys that I'll be really watching, one of the below the radar guys for the moment that I think has he could surprise a lot of people with the season that he has, and he can make it a really tough decision for the Marlins by the end of next year. Yeah, no, that was that was a name that would, that just slipped my mind for a little bit. I'm sorry, Alex, but wow, yeah, Osiris, you know, he looked great, and in just in in the outfield, he looked phenomenal. I think you're right. He's someone that I think he's just going to be young enough and just he's going to lack the experience in the upper level minors where he, I don't know if he's going to be someone that Miami's going to have to really strongly consider to put on the 40-man, but nonetheless, you're right. If he has a really successful year, being in double-A, maybe he's someone that gets picked up. He's someone that I'm going to be really excited about to watch in 2022. Hey, you guys are right. I mean, missed a whole year with injury and, yeah, and, you know, came back and really struggled to start the year. I mean, outside of like his first game, I think he hit a home run in his first game for the Hammerheads and then really, really, really struggled. Um, for the rest of that tenure, got sent down to the FCL and learned a new position, um, one of the harder positions to learn in baseball, um, and and came back very, very well. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you guys that that's another guy that has a question mark around him. I, I think he's going to get challenged, as we've seen with a lot of prospects. I think he's going to get challenged, as you said, Isaac, to to double-A baseball. And and judging by how he does there, I think that the Marlins were making an interpretation. So, yeah, uh, a, lot of, a lot of discussion to be had around minor league prospects that are rule five eligible that have to be added or risk being exposed to next year's rule five draft. So that was a point, uh, but man, there's, there's a lot to be answered. Um, you know, there, I think there's still some room on the 40 man currently, but uh, who knows if that persists um, throughout the course of this, of this major league, um, this made pretty much major league rebuild that's going on right now. So we'll see what happens, but definitely some questions to be answered for minor league prospects. Uh in, in, in accordance with the rule five draft, but um, man, wow. <laughs> what a loaded show. Um, I think we went all over on time probably, but uh, that's okay because this discussion was amazing. Some great stuff from two of the best minds in Marlins media world with Eli Sussman and Isaac Azut. You guys know how much I love discussions like these, all the conjecture, all the back and forth and how much I believe that this kind of stuff makes for, the best conversation, right. And, and spurs the best conversation among the fan base. And I think that's why we did this. That's why I wanted to have you guys on. That's why I invited you guys on. And I think Daniel can agree with me that this was an amazing show. So this has been really fun. Um, but the last thing I got to get to, I know we're over on time, but I'm, I'm doing it anyway. Screw it. We're, we're doing the infamous fish on the farm, swimming upstream quick fire round. So let's go. These, as you guys know, are the handful of quick or question and answer format questions. And we're going to go back and forth. I'll do the first one and Daniel will do the next. But the first one I got to know, and I'll throw it. I want to get both of you guys, but I'll go to Eli first. Favorite moment or game? And we know it was a hard season, but pick one, if you can find one, of the Marlins 2021 season. Favorite moment or game? Go ahead. I'll go with the one, and this is partially uh, – not because of what happened on the field, but Brian De La Cruz hit a, a walk-off RBI double. I believe it was in, in the 10th inning, uh, obviously in a game in uh, August. And I remember it so vividly because Glenn Geffner totally nailed the call of it going, get back, get back, get back, get off the wall. <laughs> he got really excited for De La Cruz. Was this the like one against the Mets? Yes. I believe the, it was against. Them. Yeah, it was there. I was there. Uh, September, I think it was September eighth yes. or ninth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great one. That was Amazing. right around the peak of De La Cruz craze uh, with him. I believe I'm, I'm pretty high on him moving forward. But that was like the one moment where hashtag um, De La Craze coming to fish stripes pretty soon. Yeah, maybe inadvertently <laughs> came up with that. I'll go with that one. There, are, there are many others. That's that was actually. That game, I believe, was actually Sandy's crazy game um, against the Mets. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's it's the same game. I, I think Sandy you're right. Struck I, out I was looking at 14. 14 yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll settle with that one. Game. Even though, yeah, even though the exact date is escaping me. Um, yeah, right. must have been early September. 
Well, you know, I'll, I'll take my favorite moment of the 2021 season. It's kind of like, you know, a sad one to think about now, but this is when Miami was really playing well, sort of earlier in the season. I think you guys know where I'm going with this. That game against the Giants, that it was even better that Harlan the Marlin Garcia was on the mound, I believe it was, against Alfaro. And he just ripped one in extra innings. I was actually like out to dinner with a bunch of people and I was watching in the bar. I kept ditching dinner to watch this, the ending of this game. Marte tied it in a critical two out spot in the top of the, in the bottom of the ninth. And Alfaro just drilled one in the corner and Paul Severino and Todd Hollinsworth were going absolutely nuts in the TV booth. And Jazz was the one who had to score all the way from first. And that was just like the moment. I remember like in 2019, the moment was Castro tying the game in the ninth at a UM game. For Miami against Atlanta Braves, where Prado eventually walked it off. But yeah, for this year, I would have to go with that Alfaro walk-off double. He that was like his first of a couple more walk-offs they had in the year. But that that definitely had to be the the moment for me. Back when we thought we had a chance. Yeah, and I, I remember Fox Sports was tweeting about Miami. Oh, like Miami's team, that's a fun team. And then like three weeks later, they go like 10 and 20. It was dope. But that, that Alfaro walk-off hit was like insane. All right. Favorite or most impressive moment? So either favorite or most most impressive moment to you by a Marlins rookie this year. Um, I, I, are you like, you want to go first? You go ahead. I'll like marinate on this. I was, I hate to say it was just something so bland, but honestly, you know, Jazz, he had a great start to the season. And there was this one particular home run in Atlanta that he homered off Charlie Morton dead center field Mm. and to me that just showed the maturity that this guy was you know that this guy was able to have and it was it was on the road and it was just dead center field no doubt about it and I think that was just one of the more impressive things just like a million impressive things that happened with Miami rookies this year Trevor Rogers every time he took the mound was almost insanely impressive but for me it would have to be that jazz play and also this I'll it'll be I'll double down on jazz moments that home run off Charlie Morton (laughs) the center field and then the next one would be the go-ahead home run in the eighth inning uh, i think it was jerry's familia that went 940 feet to right field <laughs> just jazz hitting those home runs in those big moments and this was at a time where fans were kind of like you know talking a little bit of smack and saying like oh he's you guys just like him for bad reasons but no i think those two home runs from jazz in particular impressed me the most the marlins went to milwaukee in may and they went up against Corbin Burns when Burns was on the cusp of setting a major league record yes. for uh, most strikeouts without walking anybody. Everybody was talking about Corbin Burns. He would, and for like deservedly so, he was ridiculous for that first almost quarter of the season. And the Marlins set up Trevor Rogers, and Trevor Rogers was getting some recognition as well for how well he had pitched and won Rookie of the Month the month before. And in that game. It was so apparent that Trevor was better than Corbin Burns. And Corbin Burns, he went on to win the Cy Young. That's great. That's great. Uh, and actually, that night he did set that record for like most strikeouts without walking anybody to start the year. But they were going, they're matching zeros early on. And then the Marlins offense, they like put up a crooked number against Corbin Burns, if I remember, and, and gave Trevor a lead. And he was he was cruising from there. It was it was nearly perfect through I think like six innings and he ended up pitching into the seventh so it was one of his better outings and it went um when he was going head to head again against this guy that was that was getting all the hype even above as much as anybody at that moment in time and for him to perform that way for him I remember his his velo in that game he must have hit the high 90s on multiple occasions like he, there was some extra juice flowing through him at that moment, going against a Brewers lineup that was missing. I remember very vividly that Yelich was hurt and Yelich was not in there, but it was still like a pretty decent lineup overall. And Trevor was lights out Uh, among the plenty of Trevor games that you could go to there. That's, that's the one that definitely sticks out. I'll go with the Jesus Sanchez barehanded. Oh yeah, barehanded catch. Amazing. That I put that up for my friend that today. That, that was awesome. That was literally that one was of amazing. the most impossible plays that could ever be made, and he did it. Incredible. I mean, there's a lot, but great points from 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 all of you guys. Um, we'll go we'll go to number three. Um, this is baseball as a whole, and you guys can give us just the names. You know, we don't need to know. I mean, we, I'm sure we want to know your reasons why, but we just don't have time. And this is quick fire, so let's just ask. Um, 
Hall of Fame ballots are starting to come in, right? In baseball as a whole. So just give us the names. If you had a vote, who are you voting for for next year's Hall of Fame? It'd well, be pretty close to a, to a full ahead, ballot um, to me at this time. Uh, I guess the, the one that I'll just emphasize is getting Gary Sheffield some hope of getting in. What Really, the only hope for the foreseeable future that the Marlins have of having one of their own he, he split time between a lot of organizations. He deserves with, it. Like, I think he deserves it. Like 500 Like OPS is over like 900, I think. Like, I think he deserves yeah, he's, it. But... He's gradually picked up in his voting percentages um, to the point where he's like in the 30s now. It's, it's very unlikely that he's going to get in over these final couple of years of eligibility. He's someone that um, statistically gets kind of a raw deal um, because of his defensive value. And for a lot of his career, he was put in – um, he was tested as an infielder, as a shortstop, as a third baseman, and he was miscast for that. And that dragged down his, his value. At times he played some center field as well that I feel statistically um, when, when people are like looking at the big picture, they feel like he falls short of certain overall value standards. And that's, that's being warped by something that was kind of out of his control. I feel he's deserving. So along with, you know, some of the other obvious names on there, generally I'm, I'm someone that, doesn't worry much about performance enhancing drugs, knowing that this was an era when that use was pretty rampant. I'd be pretty close to a full ballot. And the guy that's kind of on the borderline that I'm very passionate about is Sheffield. Yeah, I'm with you. That was a name that I, I wanted to mention, you know, as quick as possible, you beat me to it. I think Gary Sheffield, 100%, you know, like you said, like the stats sort of like hurt him a little bit defensively. I, I thought the same thing, but man, I, I think just offensively, he, he, he deserves a shot, at least like a fighting chance to get in. Maybe he doesn't, but I think he deserves to get at least at least 55, 60% of the vote. Um, and, us, you know, I just see some of these um, ballots that have one steroid user and not another. To me, it makes no sense. I think Bonds and Clemens, it's a really tough issue. We don't have time for that right now, clearly. But I think Bonds and Clemens both need to be in there. Rodriguez will get in in a later time. But I think Bonds and Clemens, it, how can you not have – greatest home run hitter of all time, not in the Hall of Fame. I think, you know, our good friend Ethan Badowski made a great point. It tells a story is what the museum does. And how can you tell the story of Major League Baseball without Barry Bonds? Same thing for Pete Rose. That's a whole different discussion. But those are the two names that I'm, I'm really keen on I'm making it in. All right. All right. Okay. Next one. You guys know that we, you know, that Alex and I, we just love going deep into – prospects and and our system not just the top 10 guys so with that in mind please tell us your favorite non-top 20 prospects in the marlin system i know mine what is you know what wait let me based on mlb.com or yeah sure i mean on your own list i guess i mean obviously like if it's a 19 20 21 don't give me like freaking khalil watson you know no, of course. No. So my guy, I think everyone knows my guy's Cody Morissette. That guy just absolutely rakes. I'm such a fan mm-hmm. of him. I, in college, his swing is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. He's got the looks, he's got the talent and he, the defensive versatility in the, in the infield. I think he's someone that's going to really hit. I know he didn't have incredible numbers in his pro debut, but I think he's someone that's just slept on a little bit. I just looked it up. He's 18th on MLB pipelines list. Let me make sure. Yeah. Um, 18th correct he counts he counts yeah he counts technically sorry about that but no i think his um his hit tool is close to a 60 65 in my own grading i think he can really hit his swing is great like i said in development camp i couldn't really gauge a proper you know profile on him just based because they were only hitting off the machine and the first three times there's only off fastballs uh fun fact that yes griffin conine did strike out against a fastball only pitching machine but i think cody morris is going to be somewhat special Sort of like a Chris Coughlin type swing, you know, like uh, similar to Connor Scott's similar build, <laughs> but sort of like a Chris, it's a really nice looking swing and he puts barrels, he hit the ball hard every single time. My answer earlier in the year would be Ian Lewis, but I think it's now too late. I think that the, the, the grace period has expired on that and the world has caught on. And that at this point, I think just about anybody that if they recently update their list, he's now firmly in that top 20, somebody that, is Bahamian just like jazz and there more than one similarity between how they the kind of power that they generate in such a small frame 
and how I, I think that's going to, I'm excited to see how that translates when he reaches full season bowl. But in terms of guys that are definitely outside the 20, top 20 right now, this is one that I know is a Alex Carver favorite as well. And uh, Antonio Velez and the season that he had between high Beloit and double a Pensacola, when they put him in the rotation, everything really clicked for him um, pretty early on in the year. I believe very much in his command, believe very much in his secondary pitches that he checks a lot of boxes for a starting pitcher that was technically an undrafted free agent when they got him in 2020 because of how short that draft was. I, I think Antonio Valencia has a decent chance of sneaking into the big leagues by the time that this season gets over and what he does from there, you know, We'll, we'll see, but he is a really talented left-hander who the Marlins got for uh, on a discount that I think is going to actually contribute to what they do, assuming that he's not traded in the near future, but he could really help them in almost immediately, I think, despite having very little prospect hype at the moment. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I love Antonio. Yeah, definitely. Love Antonio Velez. If you gave it, if you gave me one guy to pick, and I'm gonna be very brief because we got one more to get to, and then we're gonna go. <laughs> but the 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 guy that I would pick would be Bennett Hosteller, who is an 18th round pick out of a basically nowhere college. No defense to North Dakota or to North Dakota State, I believe. But man, just an 18th rounder that's come in and raked with Jupiter and is now apparently going to learn how to play catcher, which is insane. So that would be my guy would be Bennett Hostetler, just because he checks a lot of boxes already out of a, a college that's not usually competitive and came up to Major League Baseball and proved it in a in a very pitcher friendly environment and is now learning one of the the hardest positions to play on a major league yep. field. So mine would be Bennett Hostetler. Um, I really hope that that guy can be really good. I think he definitely can. Um, offense is out of, is, is apparently very good. Bat to ball, I think is very good. Um, if he could prove it as a catcher, man, that's, that's a guy that could take off and, and a guy that could come out of nowhere and just be something very good. So that would be mine. <laughs> would be Hostetler. Yeah, mine's Ronald Ronald Hernandez, who already spoke talked about. I really like that kid. Yeah, definitely Ronald as well. Another another catcher. So yeah, uh, me and Daniel all in on the catchers, which we know the Marlins <laughs> need, right? Ask Jacob Stalling. Yeah, what, <laughs> one more one more quick name. I'm sorry, just really quick. This was actually someone that was quickly added to the top thirty. I know, like we can cut this off. We're over time. He was quickly added to the top thirty. No worries, man. He was out of the top thirty, and I know, like, I think Eli was the one who said, like, there's a lot of other guys that could have been added. I saw him swing the bat too at the development camp. Was Christian? I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Christian Rodriguez. Christian Rodriguez. So really? Rule five. Oh. Rule five, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah. He was someone that really had a sweet swing, and he hit the ball surprisingly hard. He has a very skinny frame, similar to what Connor Scott looked like in 2018 coming out of Plant High School. But that was someone that, like, okay, I can kind of see why I think I agree with you. Like, there were, you know, more prolific people to put on the list. I think I think that was when Jesus – uh, graduated or lay with someone, but there is something there that that's like a, you know, a dark horse candidate that I can see maybe becoming some sort of an asset. I think he maybe comes out and has a high, has a, has a chilling season this year. Yeah. As I mentioned, rule five um, next December, by the way. So I, I don't think uh, selected in the major league portion, but we'll definitely need to be protected uh, from the triple a portion if they want to retain Christian Rodriguez, who um, is definitely on our top 100 list, I think in the midst of our top 100 list, but um, a good guy to look at, I think as a, I think they have him as a third baseman, but yeah, um, a good guy to look at for sure. Um, deeper down, but a, a good name to mention by Isaac. So for sure. Um, last one, <laughs> this is the last one. Uh, and we asked this to everybody. Uh, you guys know this, you've watched our shows, you know this. Um, we're asking this to everybody, uh, and this, you guys are the last ones to answer it. So it's, it's your word as the final word, um, scale of one to 10 overall confidence in the level of talent in the Marlins minor league system and in the direction of the Marlins franchise as a whole right now, today on December 4th, go ahead. If you bundle it all together, it gets dragged down to a six out of 10 for me, just because 
ultimately a lot of this hinges on ownership and the commitment of ownership and the willingness to spend at the major league level to acquire talent from outside the organization and more importantly to keep the guys around that we want to keep around long term i'm very skeptical about when that spending is going to come because if it hasn't fully come yet um when they finally have all these new revenue streams in place uh i i'm not holding my breath for that that being said what they've done on the pitching development side um just it keeps getting better like there's no signs of slowing down with the way that they are maximizing the talent of all sorts of pitchers within their organization and preparing them specifically for how to pitch in Lone Depot Park. That establishes a really high baseline for the type of baseball that people can expect moving forward. And the way that they've performed in the amateur draft and also in that 2019 international free agency class, uh, which featured Jose Salas and Yuri Perez and Ian Lewis, um, that is that has potential to be I, I, I want to stop sort of saying an all-timer, but just an awesome bang for your buck on that regard. So they just had some turnover in that department as well on the international. We haven't even seen Junior Sanchez yet. He's yeah. also apparently really good. Yes. Same, yeah. same, yeah, same. Great, uh, great name, class. Daniel. So at this moment, uh, the uncertainty about what the spending level is going to be at the highest level of ownership and the turnover that they now have in international scouting with Fernando Seguinal leaving the organization, we mm-hmm. need to see whether um, whoever fills his shoes is, has the same magic touch in that regard. Uh, th- that kind of dragged it down towards the middle of the pack for me about overall confidence. Well, to, to answer your question, Alex, I you would take in consideration the minor league, the minor leagues and the major league organization. My confidence, I would say it would have to be at a, Shit, this is just so tough because earlier in the regime, they did just take such a high risk in all these athletes that they brought in, you know, like Meisner, like Connor Scott, like Osiris. Everyone was just athletes. All their trades, they targeted athletes. So that's why it's not just such a high floor as it should be, in my opinion, because of the, the type of players that they targeted so early in the when they took over. But just based on the pitching alone, like Eli mentioned, it's from major leagues like an astounding amount all the way down to rookie ball Dominican league and the GCL it's just all the way up and down so I would have to give it at least you know that's what gives it a high floor is what the system does so I'd give it a, a six six and a half seven I'm sorry I'm giving you a bunch of answers but it's it's just so tough to to grade a, a organization like this it really is you know because you have guys like in Detroit you have Riley Green you have Spencer Torkelson who are such high floor offensive ceiling guys Miami doesn't have someone like that. They really don't. You know, like it should have been Blade. It should have been Blade. It should have been Blade, and I'm yeah. not shocked. It should have been. I would have rather Andrew Vaughn. Obviously, he he went third, so that was a moot mm-hmm. point. But I thought Blade would be that guy, especially since he was just such a pure hitter early in his college career. That I thought he would be. I did see some hitches in his swing. Joe Fasaro mentioned it. A lot of people mentioned it. I thought Blade would be that guy. He was definitely the guy I voted for to to go number four. Riley Green, oh, he looks really good right about now. He was in that same draft. Holy shit. He think he's, I think he's such a stud. But I would give it a, a solid 6.5 in my confidence that, you know, the, the way this organization is constructed as is with the minor league system and the, off, and the major league system, it's going to – I'd give it a 6.5. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, tons in the outfield, awesome. tons pitching. Um you know, catching is what it is, but now with Stallings, it's different. And, you know, infield is what long-term they have, they have infielders, but short-term not so much. So hopefully what, what's at the major league level can stick and, and be very good. And I think it could. So um, I'm confident, man. Um, just to give you my, my point of view, I would say seven out of 10. Um, I'm confident, um, you know, that this, this, this off season and what they've done so far has really kind of kind of boosted me. Um, I'm confident in what they're doing at the major league level. And I know that they want to win and Daniel knows that as well. So uh, it's going to be an interesting 2022 and uh, we covered 2021 in abundance here um, and what they've done so far here in the off season. So man, uh, a fantastic show, a loaded show, a very, very big show from two of the, two of the most brightest minds, I, I would say, in all of Marlins media with, with Eli and Isaac, um, Eli, you know, first of all, I, I would just say that, as I said, to start, you've been a great friend for a long time. You're always an absolute pleasure to share a platform with you. Welcome me onto your platforms. 
all the time, which I definitely appreciate. You welcome Daniel as well, which I'm sure Daniel appreciates. Um, the work you do with Fish Stripes and your dedication is absolutely incredible. I can't thank you enough for all you've done to help me personally and help our project personally grow. Whenever I have a question, you're there to answer me. Whenever I need an email forwarded, you're there for it. You're, you're always there for us. We definitely appreciate it. And then Isaac, bro, I mean, it's it's been awesome getting to know you and watch you grow with Fish Stripes. As I said at the beginning, Eli is never somebody to shy away. I'm giving people a chance to prove themselves and to, to build their career in the sports media business. And you've done that in abundance and you've come out shining like a five-tool prospect. So <laughs> you're awesome, man. I, I really appreciate you. Um, all, your, all your conjecture and all your discussion is, is awesome. Um, it's been great to get to know you over the last year. And Eli and Isaac, you guys are welcome back on our show and our platforms anytime that you like. Thank you so much. It's a lot, guys. Thank you guys so much, man. Yeah. Next step is uh, throwing my my clout around to somehow get Fish on the Farm verified on Twitter. That's one thing that I <laughs> we about, wish. We wish. We're trying. We're trying. The world was there. We wish. <laughs> and something that should be taken into consideration, Alex, just so you know, to reciprocate just something really quick, the way that, you know, your, your depth of knowledge about the Miley system and the way that you handle these podcasts, you host these podcasts. It's obviously my first time being on Fish on the Farm podcast. So I really appreciate it, man. And the, the way, you know, you prepare, you can tell how hard you work to, you know, make these make these podcasts really a delight to listen to and be a part of. I know maybe there's a, a birdie said that maybe we'll, we'll have you on a certain podcast soon. Anytime. But I just want to appreciate the time. And, you know, it's great to, it's always great to talk to you guys. Awesome. So uh, to close it out, guys, that's going to be episode uh, 34 of Swimming Upstream. If you guys don't, and I'm sure there's going to be nobody that we're talking to that don't already follow these amazing gentlemen on Twitter and everywhere else that they do their work on, on podcasts and their website as well. Follow Fish Stripes. Their, uh, their Twitter account is at Fish Stripes. That's their main account. Also, Eli and Isaac run the at Fish Prospects account which is a favorite of ours that reports on prospects throughout the system. You can also follow Eli's personal account at real Eli and Isaac at Isaac Azut. And please, 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 like I said, please bookmark fishstripes.com and subscribe to fish stripes podcasts, wherever you guys are listening. In addition, these, these, to these two fantastic talents that we just spoke to, there are many, many more to be read and heard from across fish stripes platforms. I promise they are amongst the most active, most up-to-date and most creative, most dedicated sources on Marks Marlins Media. So we thank Eli and Isaac. We thank Fish Stripes. And we hope to see you guys next time on Swimming Upstream. <laughs>